Well, the other day I was uh, walking our uh, son Peter uh, to the school bus stop at the end of our street. It was a picture-perfect chilly fall morning as we stood there waiting. Several other parents appeared from around the neighborhood. Their children were either in kindergarten or first grade, and those children looked so young. But then something else hit me. So did their parents. <laughs> now, while I'm just 57, being around those 30-something-year-old moms made me feel suddenly quite older. Has that ever happened to any of you? Anyway, as I walked back home after Peter got on the bus, I, for some reason, suddenly flashed back to my school days. And for, for some reason, high school came into my mind, and all this music flooded my mind. All the bands that I loved when I was in high school, like, like, like The Stones, The Who, uh, uh, Pink Floyd, Jethro Tull, Genesis, and The Dead. And as I thought about all these bands, it, it hit me that all these bands but one are British. And so I concluded that, like tea, maybe rock is just better when it comes from England. <laughs> but there's one British songwriter and guitarist that I like also, and his name is Chris Rhea. And he wrote, the ex he wrote the following tune, and here's some excerpts of lyrics from his song. So give me some time, my friend, and hear what I say. You got too much pride, too much pride. Drive yourself crazy. It'll burn your soul, cut you deep inside, drag you down and get in your way. So take a look, my friend, listen to what I say. You got too much pride. And although this song was written in 1992, in many ways it seems to capture some of what our culture is about in the year 2017. Because as I reflect upon many dimensions of our country, including politics, entertainment, sports, the news, and even some religious institutions and its leaders, it seems that there is a dearth of a vital virtue, and that's humility. While certainly not a new thing in human history, at the center of the lives of many today is this insatiable, insatiable, growing hunger for power, influence, control, and capital. And many people in our culture today have egos that are bigger than all three Egyptian pyramids combined. And some would say that pride is at the root of all of this, and I agree. C.S. Lewis, in fact, wrote the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice, he writes. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began, end quote. And issues of pride and the resultant problems are reflected in story after story after story in the Old Testament. Pride was the root cause of the demise of king after king after king after king. King after king after king got into trouble because they put themselves and their own egos ahead of absolutely everything else. In fact, if you read the Old Testament, it is astonishing that this pattern of a leader's ego and pride leading to destruction is repeated over and over and over again until Israel and Judah are taken over by other countries. Remember, too, that Cain killed Abel because his pride and ego were wounded. Joseph ticked off his brothers and was sold into slavery because of his pride. Jezebel led her husband, King Ahab, astray, all because of pride. And then there's the New Testament. 
without question, the people who challenged Jesus the most, the people who refused to follow Jesus, the people that were at odds with Jesus, the people that eventually, in fact, asked for Jesus to be crucified were the religious leaders who were most prideful and self-certain. Pride can be such a dangerous state of mind, and this idea is embedded in all of Scripture from beginning to end. Then there's the story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. You know it, but Jesus tells this story to people around him who have too much confidence in themselves and believe they are absolutely above the rest. Jesus says, I want you to listen up. Two people go to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by and said the following prayer, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. I am not a cheater. I am not a sinner. I am not an adulterer. I am certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give all my money away. I'm so faithful. I'm so good. I'm great. I've got it down. And standing at a distance, the tax collector, afraid to even look up, says, oh God, please be merciful to me. I am such a sinner. And as he prays, he beats his chest. Jesus then said, I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, will return home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I thought about this story this week, and I stand here before you today so glad, so relieved that I'm Robert and nothing like that Pharisee. Nope. No way. Shape or form. I'm not like that Pharisee. Boy, what a fool he was. So glad I'm not like him at all. Aren't you? Seriously, though, pride is a very tricky thing and can become a slippery slope to some pretty bad things. A fellow named Thomas Terrence from the C.S. Lewis Institute wrote the following. The desire to lift up and exalt ourselves beyond our place as God's creature lies at the heart of pride. And with pride, God becomes smaller and smaller, and we become bigger. The center of gravity shifts from God to the person. The person becomes the center of his or her own world, and God is conveniently moved to the periphery. He goes on to write, to sum up the biblical perspective, pride, pride can be summarized as an attitude of self-sufficiency, self-importance, and self-exaltation in relation to God, along with an attitude of contempt toward others. C.S. Lewis again writes, pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the possibility of love, contentment, and common sense. So how do we know if we're struggling with pride? One person writes, pride may be a challenge for us if we find it difficult to admit our mistakes. It's hard to say, I am sorry. We refuse to let go of something. We go back to it over and over and over again. We compare ourselves to other people. We're afraid to ask questions, and we certainly never want to say, I don't know. And while there are signs and other signs of prideful living, my hunch is that for most of us, if not all of us here today, there is at least a little bit of some of this in our lives, in our egos. A brief caveat before I go on, stated well by Thomas Tarrant. 
It's important to point out that there is, of course, a good type of pride. Paul, for example, was proud of the churches he established, but this was not arrogance, nor was it self-exalting pride. He made it clear that his accomplishments were the fruit of God's work through him. Occasionally, Paul mentions boasting, but this is a matter of highlighting what God has done through him. It's not self-exaltation. These days, most of us will say that we're proud of our children or our favorite sports teams or perhaps something we have accomplished. In cases like these, we are one hopes, saying that we're really pleased about something good and we're not engaging in the sinful type of pride and arrogance Scripture condemns. So don't hear me this morning as saying don't be proud of your children and similar types of things. Such healthy and good pride is a long way from the pride that says, I am the greatest. I have it all down. Everyone should listen and look to me. So if pride is a problem and something Scripture warns us about throughout, over and over and over again, what is the answer? Humility. Boy, what a hard one. One dictionary states that the word humility comes from the word humilitas, which is related to humilis, which can be translated as grounded or from the earth, as the word humus means earth. So at its root, humility has to do with being grounded, humus. And with this in mind, let's for a moment look at what humility is and is not. Well, humility, I believe, is ultimately a matter of the heart. It's a matter of our hearts. Humility comes from the realization that no one has it down pat. No one has all the answers. What we know as individuals is actually quite limited. Everyone has brokenness within them. Everyone sins and has faults and weaknesses. This breeds not only humility, but compassion in giving people a break. Nobody is a perfect parent or boss or spouse or leader. Everybody has stuff to deal with, thank God. There is not a perfect team. There is not a perfect coach. There is not a perfect minister. Lord have mercy. There is not a neighbor, perfect neighbor. There is not a perfect Christian. And I love what one person says about humility. The person writes, humility means understanding who God is and who we are in light of God. John Ortberg says humility has to do with self-forgetfulness. Humility means we know we are wrong sometimes, sometimes very wrong. It means we can easily say, I'm so sorry, I made a mistake. I hurt you. I am sorry. Humility involves vulnerability. Transparency means we see our strengths and our weaknesses. Means it's not hard to say I have no idea. Humility is not, however, about self-deprecation, self-flagellation, self-castigation, or simply putting oneself down. As one person writes, humility is rather having a realistic sense of who we are before God. We must not think too highly of ourselves or too lowly. And the great Archbishop Desmond Tutu, 
said, humility is the recognition that your gifts and all you have are from God. And that lets you sit relatively loosely with all you have. Isn't that a nice phrase? Sit loosely with all you have. He goes on, humility allows you to celebrate the gifts of others, but does not mean you have to deny your gifts, your own gifts, or shrink them. Humility includes the ability to laugh at our own foibles. Our reading today is from Paul's letter to the Philippians. And in the second chapter today, here are some excerpts from what we heard. These words are magnificent, and here are just some excerpts. And they're so relevant to all of us here today. Think of Paul writing to each of us now. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Holy Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Love each other. Which is why every week I say it's all about love. Jesus said it in Matthew 22. Love God, love people. That's it. No ands, buts, ifs. It's that's it. But then Paul goes on. If you've gotten anything out of all of following Christ, then think of yourselves the way that Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself. He had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of his deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. It was a humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Are we willing to set ourselves aside and take on the status of a slave Assuming that incredibly humbling process. First, a note of caution, too, I need to say, if I want to talk briefly on some ways we can work toward becoming humble, a note of caution about working on being humble. Ironically, it's quite possible to be very prideful about our humility. I'm such a humble person. <laughs> I always put other people first. I'm so humble. Nobody can say I'm arrogant. Thank God. These are risky statements because they reflect the absolute opposite of humility. So we can be prideful about humility. If truth be told, none of us is ever going to have humility down. Then therefore, there's no reason for any of us to ever claim being humble. As one person writes, humility is elusive, a perpetual goal, almost, a little, almost always a little bit out of reach. The wiser we become, the more we see how much we don't know and how much we need other people to help us know. That said, we are as Christians invited, as one person writes, to put on the mind of Christ and humble ourselves. And to do so, we need to make a firm decision, to make a decision to ponder, understand, and adopt Jesus' way of thinking. His values, his attitudes need to become ours. His strong emphasis on humility and meekness and his example of it must take hold of our thinking, our desires, our conduct, we must admire humility and want it for ourselves and pray, pray, pray that the Holy Spirit will change us. A 
Another writer continues, as we refuse to be preoccupied with ourselves and our own importance and seek to love and serve others, it will reorient us from self-centeredness to other-centeredness. And I'm very clear that if we want to pursue humility, we need to deal with anger that we've got in our lives and let it go. Anger. We've got to let judgment go. We've got to let arrogance go. We need to assume we don't know it all, that we always have more to learn. If we want to pursue humility, we need to get in touch with and deal with our own sources of shame and self-esteem. Because shame and self-esteem, low self-esteem, lead directly to defensive pride and arrogance. Those who struggle the most with arrogance and those who struggle the most with who they think they are are those who are most arrogant. So we've got to deal with our own shame and our own low self-esteem. Humility is about letting go of gossip and not engaging in revenge and being very quick to listen and very, very slow to speak. And what might surprise you, Jesus doesn't let anybody off the hook in this. What might surprise you is that as followers of Jesus, if we really want to follow Jesus, we are called to humility across whatever, whatever position we hold in life. From parent to teacher, mother to grandparent, food server to president, mayor to utilities worker, retiree to high school student, truck driver to CEO, entrepreneur to flight attendant, musician to carpenter, and from volunteer to senior pastor. We are all called to humility regardless of our position in life, period. Jesus said it, scripture says it. If we follow Jesus, Jesus calls us to humility without exception. And as I wrap up, I love what one person writes about humility and parenting. Maybe I like this little short thing, being a parent. I love it because these words are not just about parenting, but if you think about this short little quote I'm going to share, they metaphorically are about whatever role we have in life. This person writes, let us always remember that we are human, no matter the fight to convince ourselves otherwise. We make mistakes. We fail. This will happen more than once. We sometimes speak out of frustration or fear. We laugh too loud, forget to sign permission slips, irritate our spouse and children, and throw the very imperfect birthday party. We make fools of ourselves. We lose patience. We sing off-key, dance with no rhythm, and from time to time, we find success. Does this not reflect the heart of humility, whatever our, our lot or position in life may happen to be? And isn't that good news that we don't have to be God? We can let God be God, let God be the perfect one, and let us be the ones that are saved by grace through the cross of Christ. Isn't that good news? And if we were serious about Jesus, if we're serious that we want to follow him, if we're serious that we know we need a savior because we are so imperfect, if we're serious that we need forgiveness, if we're serious about the resurrection and the eternal life that Christ offers us, if we are serious that we understand that when it's all said and done, what matters God is loving God and loving people, then we need to get serious about making humility part of who we are. Boy, that's hard.
it is really hard. It is really tough. It is really countercultural work to work on being humble. But then again, that was and is and shall remain the nature of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And let us pray.